0: Welcome to Warrior, the Art of War for Life, a podcast for those who want to win, leadership lessons, motivational mindsets, empowering principles, success strategies, and transformational tactics from Swinza, the master of victory. I'm your guide on the side, David Boyd, award-winning educator, transformational speaker, and certified life coach. It's time to start winning at life. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm I'm so glad you guys are here today. Uh, We have another installment of our Warrior Mindset Unplugged, and my guest today is dear friend, Uh, Kim Pinsky and All-American in volleyball and uh, weightlifting coach and competitor and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu champion on so many levels uh, and inspiration and uh, we're going to talk about just some amazing things today. So thank you for tuning in and I I really hope you get something out of this. I, I know you will. The stories are just amazing and Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank I'm you for so having me. excited. I'm excited too. One.
1: I'm excited too.
0: So um, I did a, a horrible job of introducing you, but <laughs> uh, I want to give you a few minutes to introduce yourself and anything you want to let the audience know. But uh, we've known each other for 15 years. Yes. Um, and uh, so you came to the Academy in 2007, the year before me. Mm-hmm. So it's been about 16 years now mm-hmm. as the first... Female strength and conditioning coach Mm -hmm. at USAFA, and we'll get to talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, All-American in volleyball at the Mm -hmm. University of Minnesota, Mm -hmm. right? Team captain, um, academic Mm -hmm. All-American as well, Mm -hmm. um, and talk about some of the lessons that you learned there. And then um, also your journey into weightlifting, competitive weightlifting, Mm -hmm. Colorado State champion, four years in a row, Mm -hmm. and placed really high nationally, 13th. 13th and um so teaching and performing at, a, at an elite level mm-hmm. um and you get into brazilian jiu-jitsu and <laughs> as a white belt you start winning competitions yes. and uh and then in, in the midst of all this successful career you decide you want to join the army
1: i did and
0: um and go into as a in military police right yes, and, and police this talk. is not this is not an easy you didn't pick like some dash job You wanted it yeah. right there on the front lines, I which did. speaks a lot to you. So I want to hear about that, too. And, and then we'll get into some of the, the challenges. But first, why don't you just introduce yourself to the audience? Okay.
1: So my name is Kim Pinsky, like Dave said. Um, I've been at the Academy since 2007. I work in our combatives department for physical education. I'm the course director for Combatives One. Um, additionally, I am a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and right now, I work with our women's basketball, men's soccer, and men's women's diving teams. So yeah. I have my bachelor's degree from the University of Minnesota in sport and recreation management, um, and I have my master's degree from North Dakota State in health, nutrition, exercise science. So that is that is my education and my path to the academy. Hard yeah. to believe it's been sixteen years. I that's, know that's a long time.
0: It's so true. That
1: is a long time. And
0: uh, if I ever needed a bodyguard, <laughs> you would be my top choice.
1: I'd call somebody else. <laughs> okay. <No, I'm kidding. laughs>
0: So, um, so we met playing volleyball. Yes. Tell me a little bit about your volleyball career. So, you know, four year starter mm-hmm. and academic all American, mm-hmm. but also multi year team captain mm-hmm. and all American. Where did you get your mindset from in volleyball? What was I, that like for you as a, as a team sport? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you got to work I, with other people.
1: I grew up on a farm. Uh, my my parents um, milked dairy cattle for quite some time, wow. um, and then my dad uh, got a pretty severe injury in his back, herniated mm. a bunch of discs in his back, and so he couldn't um, milk anymore, um, and so they uh, sold the dairy herd and got beef cattle, um, and we had just all kinds of animals, like we had hogs, chicken, like geese, like you name it those geese are better watchdogs than our regular <laughs> yeah. dogs. Like, geese can be mean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think, um, you know, I was the youngest child in my family. So I think that, um, you know, growing up doing chores at a pretty young age, mm. um, whether it was, you know, the, the farm chores or, um, you know, chores in the house. Uh, my mom was a nurse and worked nights. So, um, mm. you know, having opposite schedules, my parents having opposite schedules, um, you know you gotta you gotta pull together for the family and so I think um you know that work ethic was instilled in in that way like you know you're mowing lawn when you're little and you're driving tractor like when you're little you know and you just you do for the family and so I think um I don't necessarily think I had a I want to be good at volleyball mindset I just had a I'm gonna work hard because that's what I know to do mindset and um you know, working hard doesn't necessarily equate to success, by the way, like, working hard is just working hard, doesn't mean anything else, but, um, I think that, um, I, I enjoyed the challenge of, of those things, like, I, I enjoy being challenged of, um, figuring this task out that my parents asked me to do, or, um, you know, learning to cook for the first time, and the challenge of that, and so I, I personally enjoyed challenges Hmm. like that, and so, you know, whether it was academically or, or volleyball, like I enjoyed learning and the uh, the path that it took to, you know, conquer some of those those hard things.
0: Yeah, like that. so that that's where you got your mindset from.
1: I would say so, yes. Yeah,
0: and you know, one of the things we talk about on the podcast is the the warrior mindset, which I define as the ability to look at any situation and believe that you're going to figure it out. You're mm-hmm. gonna, we're we're going to find the tools that we need. We're going to find the allies we need, the resources. We may not be able to tackle that big challenge at the end right now, but we have enough to get started, mm-hmm. and we can take a step towards what we want, and we're going to become stronger. We're yeah. going to grow and learn. And and that is, to me, the warrior mindset. Yes. And, um, yeah, you've always embodied that. And, and you know, a, a great example of that to me. Well, I appreciate um, that. I've, I've, I've always admired your strength. Um, And your determination. You know, when we first started playing volleyball, there was an intensity there (laughs) sometimes that was honestly kind of intimidating for me in the beginning. Um, And I'll tell you why. It was not because you're, you know, because anything had to do with you, but it had, had to do with me, actually. I, as I kind of went through my own growth mindset and my own journey and work, I felt really disempowered in a lot of ways in my life. And so to see people who were courageous and strong and this is what I want and this is what I'm going to go get um, was intimidating because it challenged some of those limiting beliefs that I had about myself that, yeah, I don't know, do I feel that, you know, that courage and that determination to go and get it and so, you know, it, it's, um, I learned that from you and other people that I saw who were, you know, what yeah, I actually can step into this role a bit more mm-hmm. and be courageous and confident
1: it's hard yeah it's scary yeah it yeah.
0: is it is scary it's scary yeah
1: because there's always that well what if i fail and then well what does failure mean and does that mean i'm a failure and how do we mm-hmm. define what that is because just because you lose doesn't mean you're a failure and i know that we were talking before the podcast started but um you know for example it's the ncaa wrestling tournament right now mm-hmm. and 50 percent of those people are going to lose their first match So hard to get
0: to that point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so do you know what I mean? So it's like, are they failures or you know, because they're the top thirty-two people in the nation in that weight class, but half of them are gonna lose. So it's like, you know, I think it's well what is failure? What is what does that mean? What you know, I think there's such a a weird connotation to the word Mm. that we could redefine like, you know, for ourselves, especially like what is that actually? You know, yeah. you lost a match. You're not a failure because you won 33 others or whatever, you know. So yeah. I think it's just, um, it's an interesting paradox.
0: Yeah, and honestly, you know, you bringing up failure was is really important because I had to <laughs> redefine mm-hmm. my definition of failure. Like, you nailed me right there. Like, I grew up thinking, you know, I had this performance-based worth. Sure. And yeah. so you're only as good as your last game. You lose. <laughs> you're, you're a failure, right? And so all of a sudden it's like, well, I needed to change that about me. Right, because of of that, it's it's not a fun roller coaster. But you know, I had the fast pass on that one for yeah. a long time. Right? <laughs> and because then, when our worth is tied into our performance, mm-hmm. then f- defeat and failure for me meant that I felt worthless. Yeah,
1: you know, and, and, and I I do too. You know, did too. I would say that, like in the past five years, through you know another topic that we'll be talking about later, like I think that that has um you know redefine that a little bit for me um which is good that's always good growth and I think that you should continue to grow till the day they put you in the ground you know but um those I think those challenges are are super important for us to define but like we have to be able to be comfortable being uncomfortable in that I think and that is that's really hard that is not easy at all
0: no, no. And as a matter of fact, I think by the time this episode airs, we will have talked about um, one of Swinza's key um, concepts, which is understand yourself and understand others. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a well known quote from, from Swinza, right? But what people often either don't get is the second half of this, which is in, if you understand yourself and you understand others, uh, you won't be broken in a hundred battles. Mm-hmm. he doesn't say you won't lose,
1: yeah, oh but
0: losing won't break us mm-hmm. defeat doesn't destroy us, mm-hmm. right it's not devastating, mm-hmm. and you know, I was massively risk averse for a long time mm-hmm. because of how devastating I thought that failure or that defeat would mean what it would mean for me, mm-hmm. and so I held myself out in a lot of ways and didn't mm-hmm. didn't put myself in line at risk, so yeah, no. I think we all do that
1: until we you know. And I think that sometimes we, you know, play it off as a joke or whatever else. Like we, we make an uncomfortable situation, like comfortable enough for us, right. even though we haven't addressed the problem.
0: Yeah, so. the insecure humor.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> like right now. No, I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, what would you say um, was your was the biggest thing that you learned um, in in volleyball um, four so, years? <laughs> what, was, what was your mm-hmm. biggest takeaway?
1: So I. Um, was recruited as a hitter, and that's all I wanted to do: hit, hit, hit. And um, I got an injury my freshman year, like right out of the gate during fall camp. Ugh. I had um, torn my rectus abdominis on my left side, the muscle that's um, that sits on top of your abdominal wall. And um, that was it; could not put my arm over my head. Um, no. Like there was this, this huge <laughs> hematoma in there, Ooh. and it like actually protruded from my body. And um, so I went from hitting and and all that to like that that year i couldn't play it; i had a medical hardship and um and then i was a defensive specialist until i'm gonna age myself until they created the libero position (laughs) my senior did not exist until i was a senior in college (laughs) and then i found a new purpose i found that you know i could play all these rotations I knew everybody's position on offense. Mm-hmm. I knew where everybody was supposed to be defensively, because you know, again, I I would still rotate. And so, um, the biggest, I guess, lesson I learned was, um, you know, kind of be prepared for anything, because it was like, well, my choices are, you know, um, be be a libero, or you know, defensive specialist or whatever, or just not play. Right. And so, like, that was not going to be an option for me, because I just I loved it too much. And so it's like, you know, you're just going to learn to adapt. And um, and my, after my ab healed, I developed a jump serve. A oh, good one. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was able to turn that into my offensive weapon, my hitting weapon. Um, because by then, like, I mean, other they recruited over me, you know, and um, which they should have, and they do every year, right? So, yeah. um, so like, I wasn't going to hit anymore more even after my, my ab got better. And so it's like, okay, well, I can be scathing, though, with my serve. And so to be able to do that and, you know, the irony in all of that is um, I was recruited to play basketball as well. And they, um, I was a post, a little 5'9 me being a post, <laughs> right? Because I could bang around in there. And um, and they were going to be like, okay, well, we're recruiting you to play, you know, um, you know, a two or three position. So, you know, shooting guards, ball forward, something like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I turned them all down because I wanted to play in the post. And the irony of that is, I got recruited to play volleyball as a hitter and ended up not hitting anyways. Mm. So the position, you know, so the position that I wanted to play and they weren't gonna let me play. I still didn't play it over here. Mm. So like, <laughs> that was like lathes, laced in irony for oh. me. And um, <laughs> you know, learned the lesson anyways. You know, so and yeah. I think that I w- I was meant to learn that lesson considering it was gonna happen no matter what choice I had. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's so funny. So. You know, I you know if you remind me of of a story and I, I shared this in an earlier episode of my podcast I, I sprouted I'm 5'10 <clears throat> barefoot maybe I'm <laughs> on my right foot I'm, in
1: the program I'm, I'm 3 quarters
0: 5'9 uh, 3 quarters my right leg's a little shorter than my left leg from when I broke it when I was young but I sprouted up to this height in 6th grade and so in 6th grade at 5'10 I'm following my dad's shoes and mm-hmm. playing power forward and then I stop growing every year everybody gets taller Except and I go and I move from power forward to small forward and they're like, You better start working on that you know, that shot out yeah. there and then you gotta work on my range and then all of a sudden I'm moving to the three and it's like, yeah. Okay, you better start you know now all of a sudden I'm a shooting guard and I better yeah. get used to the catch and shoot and I yeah. remember as a freshman my coach coming in and saying, If you wanna play at high school level
1: you're going to have to improve your right. ball handling and skills. because now you're going to have to have the handles, and you're yep. going to bring the ball up, you know? So just so. funny how, like, irony kind of, and I didn't even realize that, really. I was thinking about when I was 25, 26, something like that, you know, 100 years ago now. And, um, and like, I just, for some reason, I connected those dots, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I I was faced with both situations regardless. Nah. Like, it was just in my cards. Like, that's what was going to Happened, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And I just had this oh. like the whole day. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> it was just like a bizarre like realization, you know, after the fact. Yeah. But it all worked out. Got a de- you know got a degree, and you know, and and I oftentimes wonder too, you know, like, well, what if I would have played basketball? Like, would I be here talking to you? Mm-hmm. Like you know, I don't know, would I be married to my husband? You know, I don't, I don't know all these things, you know, because it's just like a choose your own adventure book. And I think though that like, we're all right where we're supposed to be. So
0: I think so. And you know, the principle here that you kind of highlighted is we don't always get to choose what comes down our Mm -hmm. lives. Like, you know, we make the best plans we can. We we get really intentional with what we Mm -hmm. want and we, and we chase our dreams and, and sometimes, you know, life throws us a curveball and, and then we have choices to make, right? We we don't get to control what comes in, but we always get to control how we respond, mm-hmm. right? We always get to choose how we're going to respond mentally, emotionally, you know, spiritually to what we the hand we've been dealt. And, and we always have that choice. Mm-hmm. And it's not always easy. I mean, no, It may it's not. not be the choice we want to make.
1: No. And sometimes, I mean, I, I would even argue to say, like, sometimes we even make the wrong choice. You know, we we let it, I know for me anyways, it's like, I'm just gonna choose to just let myself be devastated by this, mm-hmm. you know, for a while. And then, you know, what I'll, I'll come out of it, you know, but right now I want to be upset about it. And so like, whether that's, you know, right or wrong, I don't know, but I know that, that, you know, sometimes that, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> so it's not always just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Cause it's like, you know, sometimes it's okay to just sit with your feelings that are bad. Or negative, yeah. or whatever connotation you want to work with it. So, I think yeah. that that's that's part of knowing yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, as a guy who uh, disassociated with most of my feelings, and I grew up in a family where a lot of feelings weren't okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, disowning that, suppressing a lot of those. Um, yeah, <clears throat> it took me a long time to get to a point where it was like, okay, I, I can actually acknowledge that I'm feeling hurt. That I'm feeling angry, that I don't just have to be so stoic, right? Mm-hmm. And suck it up, right? You know, and Because and, <laughs> and, I end up not dealing with any of those things. But the problem is with emotions, especially when we don't deal with those emotions. They continue to operate beneath oh, the surface,
1: right? And they come up in a place that wasn't even about the situation. Yes. And, you know, and that's, you know... Affecting other people and situations and whatever right. else, and so like that, I think is where the the tide turns. Um, yeah, like, emotional growth. We get
0: spillage, we get collateral damage, and, and I mean, yeah, unintended, many, but it happens unintended. anyways. Yeah, it doesn't know? have anything to do with, you know, usually where it ends up showing up. Yes, it doesn't, and and that that is the importance of of emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, something I didn't have for a long time. You and me both. (laughs) You and me both. It's a journey. (laughs) (laughs) It's a journey. A long one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you graduate All-American in volleyball. You've got Mm -hmm. your degree. got my degree. And you wanted to continue on Mm and get a master's. Mm -hmm. When did you decide you wanted to coach and train?
1: Um, so, I think, um, you know, when I got injured, um, I spent a lot of time with my strength and conditioning coach in college. Hmm. And, um, you know, because that's the place that they send you when you can't practice, right? Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like, we're going to get back strong. And I enjoyed the inner workings and, like, kind of the behind-the-scenes stuff um, that, that came with strength and conditioning because there's no starting lineup announced in the weight room, mm-hmm. right? There is yeah. There's just there's just work in there. That's all there is. And, um, and I, I would say that I had a big point of growth for me in knowing that I would not have been a good volleyball coach Mm. I could not see past uh, that play Um, like you know we just talked about that emotional intelligence I feel that I really lacked that Mm. at that age to be able to to string the whole match together Um, but I really knew that I didn't want to be behind a desk all day and so Mm. um, like I said I, I really gravitated towards my strength coach and got pretty good at the lifts, and I was like, you know, I think that I could do this, and um, applied for a graduate assistantship at North Dakota State, Um, didn't get it, Um, Mm. then about a week later, got another phone call from North Dakota State, the person who accepted that position dropped out, Mm. and then they offered it to me, so again, like, because I handled that initial rejection well, I think, from them, Mm. um, I think that they could circle back around, and then, um, you know, moved on up to Fargo. And which was just close to my parents, you know, about an hour away and uh, went to school and drafted my very first program, which, you know, was not good. <laughs> <And> <laughs> but, you know, the, the, that's part of being a graduate assistant is, you know, you get the mentorship from, um, you know, the coaches in front of you. And I worked with um, the throwers. I worked with women's golf um, and I worked with baseball. And um, I assisted with football because everybody assisted with football at that time. Um, and and got like different pieces of, of programming information, like learn how to really read strength and conditioning research and understanding like different loads and set and rep schemes and so on and so forth, like you know everything that your degree is supposed to teach you. So <laughs> so um, so did that, and then um, <clears throat> after that, um, I still didn't feel after two years that I was ready to be like the best assistant coach that I could be. And so I applied for a postgraduate internship um, through the National Strength and Conditioning Association, which gives us our licenses. And um, I was fortunate enough to be recipient of that. Me and one other person, we um, were the recipients of like the nationwide pool. And so then I got a list of, at that time it was 40 places because um, you had to, to study under a coach that um, had a distinction. Mm-hmm. So um, the Air Force Academy was on that list and, um, the coach that was here at that time, his name was Alan Hedrick. Uh, he, um, my thesis was based on a lot of his research on load. And mm. I was like, I could go with the person who like probably had 15 of my references in my thesis statement. I could go to that guy mm. and pick his brain for as long as, you know, for the next year. Yeah. And uh, which was how long the internship was. And so he said yes. And I, Packed up, moved to Colorado Springs, and did. Got to really study underneath him. We had a lot of good conversations. Um, I was first assigned water polo um, and diving. Gosh, that has been so long ago. I'm gonna say I started with those two. Um, that has waxed and waned over the years, but started with those two and really got like into the research for those sports. Um, and then the following year, um, you know, there was Fisher Deberry, the football coach. He had retired. And so, the you know, there was a bunch of changes in staff, and then there was an assistant strength coach position open, and I applied for it, and fortunately, I was I was able to be hired on full-time. And so, I've really been at the academy since 2006, but in 2006, right. I was an intern, you know, and, and getting my feet wet, and then I, I, I did really feel like right place, right time, like I could apply for that position confidently and, and be good at it. Hmm. I've been here ever since, haven't left. Yeah. So... <laughs>
0: Wow. So coming into the Air Force Academy, Mm -hmm. right, um, a totally different university culture from Mm -hmm. either Minnesota or Mm -hmm. North Dakota State. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you, that transition into this kind of military? Because, you know, we are a military institution. You know, we're a higher education institution. We're also a military base. Mm -hmm. And that was a a lot of different Mm -hmm. things.
1: It was definitely a large learning curve for me. Like, M days and T days. What yeah. does that mean? And, um, you know, what do you mean we can't have a lift at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, um, to be able to get the, the athletes through all day? And, um, you know, I really loved and love to this day teaching physical education. Mm. I love it, um, which is part of our job, right? So physical education over here, strength conditioning over here. And I love this because, again, it challenges me to... I teach volleyball class, right? I have to teach somebody how to play volleyball who's never played volleyball before. Mm. That's a challenge. (laughs) You have 10 hours to do it. Can they play recognizable volleyball? Mm. And so, like, they challenge me to be better for our athletes over here. You know, you learn different cues and you're like, okay, well, that that works to cue it that way Um, or you get some kind of pattern of your teaching down that that works and then you can be a little bit more efficient over here for our athletes. Um, So I feel like you know, teaching has made me a, mm. a much better coach. Um, and you know, another another difference um, that I noticed was, you know, working at you know North Dakota State, and, um, and and this isn't a knock against North Dakota State, but like the the expectations are different. Mm-hmm. And so, like you know, here the reason I I feel like I you know I, I love it so much here. Working with our teams, even though they might not have the level of success that you know the the Power Five conferences have, um, we don't run into like strange problem sets. Mm. You know, we yeah. don't we don't have to worry about um, you know our athletes going out and making um, you know the mistakes that you know cost them. Um, you know their spot on the team, or perhaps their freedom. You know we don't we don't have that here. It's like everybody shows up on time. Everybody wants to work hard, um, and then they they go up to the hill and study. No. This is they tell us, right? So. <laughs> so I don't know
0: how the intercollegiate athletes do it, honestly, with their schedules. I'm I'm constantly impressed at mm-hmm. how they juggle the academics and the military training and and the the competitive side.
1: Mm-hmm. And they do pretty okay. They're <laughs> yeah. pretty all right. Yeah, they you do. know. So, um, and and all that, you know, keeping a good attitude and you know staying staying as injury free as they can, and like they're they they especially uh, they have to get everything right. Yeah. You know, they got to sleep right. They have to hydrate right. Um, they have to eat correctly. Like you know, the effort and practice. And you know, I think it's a misnomer to say you know let's just give a, just give hundred mm-hmm. percent. It's like I wish I could have hundred percent out of anybody on any day. We don't get, you know, like, I'm hoping we get 70 or 80. Like, if yeah. we could just get 70 or 80 consistently, I think we'll be, and that's for anybody here in any Power 5, like, what is 100%? Like
0: It changes, right? <laughs> Today's 100% may not be tomorrow's Exactly, 100%. Yeah. and that's,
1: and I think that that's something also for, for us to remember because I think it feeds into what you had said earlier about, like, well, you know, it, I'm seen as a failure if it's not this thing. And it's like, yeah, but, like, Yes, like you just said, yesterday's hundred percent is going to be different than today's, and you know, yeah. What does that mean? Right.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, you're coaching and Mm -hmm. you're teaching and you're learning, and in the midst of all this, you're also competing. I am. So, what made you want to make that lift the the switch over to competitive weightlifting? Mm -hmm. um, In the midst of all this,
1: Mm -hmm. Um, well, again, Coach Hedrick, um, he and his daughter were competitive weightlifters. And, um, you know, I got to be pretty good friends with her, and so I would say that they had a big influence on that. And for me, um, you know, prior to starting weightlifting, I um, when I moved here, I ran a marathon mm. um, up in uh, Crested Butte. Wow. And back where I'm from in Minnesota, like on on the city signs, that's not elevation, that's population. <laughs> and so <laughs> that is the population. So when we're driving, I had no idea, right? And so when... Um, We get there, I'm like, what does 10,000 ELE mean? Or whatever the sign said. It was close to that. I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) And so I found out the next day at 630. (laughs) Wow. But but for me, what I found was I didn't enjoy working out for the sake of working out. I needed Mm -hmm. to have purpose behind my training. And so, um, you know, when I was in college, volleyball was the purpose behind that behind-the-scenes training of weightlifting and conditioning. And then when I, um, you know, marathon, same thing. Did it, did it once and uh, check, right? So check the box. <laughs> check, got it. Got it done. <laughs> and then, again, meeting Alan and Lindsay, you know, coming to um, that weightlifting piece, it's like, okay, well, there's an end state for that. There's this buildup, there's this end state, and then the cycle repeats. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I found that I worked better under those conditions of having a purpose behind the training and a lot of people i mean kudos to everybody who just, you know works out after work to to get it in for their health or whatever reason mm-hmm. like i can't like i'm i'm lazy like that like i have to have something that it's for or i am really unmotivated to do it mm-hmm. so
0: <laughs> yeah i tend to be the same way
1: yeah I, mean, I need i need to have it for something yeah. so
0: so you shared a story with me um from one of your weightlifting competitions. Mm-hmm. I think you said this was one of your favorite memories about weightlifting, and, and it didn't start pretty. No. You wanna, you wanna share a little bit yes.
1: about that? Yes, so um, I, I can't remember what um, actual event it was. I do know it was in Colorado Springs, um, because at that time they had the, the platform for the Atlanta games, like mm-hmm. that was our competition platform, which was surreal to step on an Olymp- like an actual Olympic-Olympic platform. And um, I had my starting weight set. Like, the snatch event went fine. Um, I didn't feel like I had cut too much weight. Like, I felt like I was right on where I needed to be for my weight class. Um, You know, your training weight and your competition weight different. And um, having problems on the clean and jerk, like, I felt the warm-ups went fine. Um, You know, my first clean, uh, just dropped it in the clean. I don't, you know, I just... I don't remember if it was the pull, like I just remember I got it like halfway out and the bar dumped forward and it was really surprising, I was like, okay. And um, for those of you out there, like for a weightlifting event, you have three attempts at um, the snatch, which is the first event, and then there's an intermission, and then you have three attempts at the clean and jerk, um, which is the second event. And so you have to score a total in each one of those things. So you have to make one of the lifts in the snatch, you have to make one in the clean and jerk. Some people, a lot of people go six for six. Some people go two for six. But as long as they have a total in each one of those events, they'll have what's called a qualifying total. So, um, missed the first one. So, um, no big deal, right? Somebody else goes, and then I go again, and got the cleanup, no problem, missed the jerk. And I'm like, what is happening? And I heard, actually, some chatter behind, um, and somebody's like, oh, she started too heavy. And in my mind, I'm like, this is actually my warm-up weight and like something, I don't know what is happening. Mm -hmm. And so um, my coach, he just, he goes, KP, he's like, you can, you can do this. He's like, I believe in you. This is a weight you've hit a hundred times, you know? And um, I said, okay. So I go out there and I take a big breath and I got the cleanup and I got the jerk up. And, um, you know, everybody's clapping. Not because, I mean, I, I didn't win that competition, you know, I think I got third or maybe didn't even place. I don't mm. quite remember. I just remember when I brought the bar down and I saw the three white lights and I turned over and my coach had these tears in my eyes. Like, I felt so, like, proud of that effort. Um, again, even though I didn't make a podium, it was, it was you know what, that was super hard. Like, there was starting to be a mental component in there. That's the same weight three times in a row. Same thing. Like A no, weight you have done many, many times, times before. And so, like, you start to you know, those thoughts start to creep in your head, but, um, you know, again, like I, I was so proud. I was able to overcome that, mm. that I didn't just have this expectation that I was going to overcome it, like that I did. Cause, um, I mean that, that weight felt like a million pounds. <laughs> I don't know what happened, <laughs> but like, you know, at the end of the day, we, we got it up and I didn't scratch the competition. And so, um, I was, I was proud of that.
0: Yeah. So, making the transition from competitive volleyball a team sport mm-hmm. to competitive weightlifting now mm-hmm. an individual sport mm-hmm. um what was what was hard about that for you and and were there some skills that transferred over for you um
1: i think the the power skills transferred because um, you know volleyball is a powerful movement weightlifting powerful movements so i think that that was a good skill transfer um you know i i wouldn't call myself like super good at volleyball or weightlifting <laughs> like or, you all know, american say, i i wouldn't call myself good at any of that um but you know again i i go back to my work ethic like i wanted to work really hard to be as good as whatever my physical limitation was because mm-hmm. everybody's got a ceiling you know and so i wanted to work to whatever that was going to be for me um i i will say i did miss like the team aspect of it you know because if, if Alan or Lindsay weren't there, well you know I was working out by myself and um which which doesn't bother me now, but it, it initially it you know bothered me then yeah. um to you know not to not have that camaraderie or um at that particular time, so I would say that you know that would be what I thought transferred and what I struggled with a little bit there and you know the just like any I mean I don't believe that practice makes perfect, I think that practice makes habits yeah. And so, <clears throat> you can continue to practice something, but continually practice it incorrectly. And it's not going to help you. Right. And so, for me, like, I really wanted to make sure that, you know, even though my weights weren't really heavy, um, you know, at, at that time, just starting out, I really wanted to make sure that technically I got it correct. Because with incorrect technique, especially, like, your ceiling's going to come a lot faster than if, than if you don't. Right. So, um, I probably got to probably write about there so <laughs> okay.
0: you know you, you bring this a really good point up which is yeah practice doesn't make perfect it makes permanent in some cases it creates mm-hmm. those habits and you know this is something I talked about um, in a couple of my episodes on the podcast which is if something's not working we need to mix it up yes you know continuing to do the same thing over and over again especially if it's not working is the definition of insanity yes. right? <laughs> and hoping for a different result. Like maybe this time, maybe this yeah. time, maybe this time, right? Yeah. And, and you know, but that's, it's a hard realization to make, right? If, if things are working, then you're just systematizing success Yes. and yes, absolutely. But when they're not working, that's when we need to, we need to mix things up and, and, and then we can get better at technique. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because when I was younger, and I you know, I played competitive tennis, played volleyball, I played basketball. I didn't have nearly as good a technique in a lot of ways <laughs> as I do now. Oh, of course. You know? Um and sometimes I think, man, if I could just put this knowledge and this skill set uh, back into that body.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, so interesting though. But you know, so many times we do I get stuck in that. Like okay. I'm just I just need to try harder I just need to try harder I need to get a little stronger a little faster without thinking through okay how about maybe we work a little bit smarter
1: mm-hmm. and
0: not just harder because mm-hmm. right? the efforts gonna be there mm-hmm. but we just need a you know from the art of war perspective sometimes we need a, a tactical advantage we need a skill we need a technique we need something that we can leverage that will be a game-changer for
1: mm-hmm. us and I think to add to that, like it's not necessarily a skill or technique, but it's understanding why the skill or technique works. Yes. Because I think that we could, you know, um, you know, again, if we're playing golf, we could just continually swing the ball or swing at the ball mindlessly, and we can make contact and whatever else. But I think that actually understanding what what happens through the motion mm-hmm. of the swing is what's going to then lead to our further success. Like we. You know, we, we have to know the why behind things instead of this, um, you know, I'm just, well, it's working, you know, like, yeah, it's working, but do you know why it's working? Why? Yeah. And, um, it, you know, and even for myself too, it's, you know, throughout as it pertains to jujitsu, like knowing like why it's, cause it's, like, you could sit there and do that technique a, a lot of times, but like, if you don't know why it's working mm. when the time comes, it might not serve you. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, I'm I'm glad that you brought that up because that's such an important piece of, of my message in the podcast. that I share, um, you know, one of, of the five essential um, strategic success factors is you need to have you need to understand why you need to have a why because mm-hmm. it's our why that's our way forward. Mm-hmm. And thinking about these big grand goals, you know, that kind of makes sense. But even thinking through a specific technique, understanding the why is the way forward to mm-hmm. progress. And so, I, yeah, it clicked when you said that. I'd never thought about it in mm-hmm. in terms that specific, in mm-hmm. terms of this technique or this approach, or, or even even something as simple as how you hold, you know, the ball or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That understanding the why does open up a whole another realm of growth, which mm-hmm. is yeah, really interesting. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yes. Why and how did you make that shift?
1: Um, so. That come from? Um, As I stated earlier, I'm the course director for Combatives One here. And I, when I first started teaching the Combatives courses, like, again, I could teach them the motions, but I couldn't tell them why. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: I wanted to improve myself in that area so I could improve them because, you know, being at a military institution, there is a real possibility that that this is a technique or, you know, that course, could be something that they really have to do, and so I didn't. I, I felt, you know, a little guilty about like not being able to provide that to them, and so um, I started training a little bit more here on the installation, um, and then I went outside the installation and joined a gym, and um, really gravitated towards that. And it brought the again, even though it's an individual sport, it brought the team aspect back in. And I found out that, you know, how weightlifting, um, you know, could support this. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, still do the weightlifting, still do all of that. But again, you have your power over here, right? And any type of grappling is very much endurance based. So they were going to be competing priorities mm-hmm. and had, had to pick one. And, um, you know, like, gosh, your knees are banged up all the time in weightlifting. And for me, my shoulders, cause also like, I'm a little bit, you know, to, to your point earlier, I'm a little bit tall for a weightlifter. Yeah. You know, at my weight class, like a yeah. little bit tall. Um, it's so funny. Um, I have this picture and I'll, I'll show you after this. It was our lineup at the American open and it was me and then everybody else. in Oh goodness. And it was just so funny. And, um, I'll, I'll have to find it. You have to send it. I'll, I'll post it
0: in the blog <laughs> version for everybody to yes, see. And it was,
1: it was super funny. And so I was like, well, you know, um, I still enjoyed competing, you know, I think I started jiu-jitsu when I was 30 or 31, you know, late bloomer, you know, you know a lot of young people are already, you know, have their black belt by that time, and, um, but that was fine to me, I didn't know or care enough about that at that time, but, um, you know, so it's like this, I found it to be easier on my body, mm. um, I could still compete, um, I could be successful in competing, because, you know, there was age groups, it's still weight classes, but I had already done a weight class sport, no problem, right? So... You know, these age categories and same skill level. And so I felt really comfortable in doing it. And again, it was just another challenge. And I really liked that. So that's how that transition came to be.
0: And you were really good. I mean, there right. was a time where you were competing a lot. and I mean, you Didn't were just, just kicking a lot. butt and taking names.
1: Yeah, I, um, <sighs> I did. like it's, But, you know, the sacrifice to that is, you know, you train three times a day. And when you work full time, you, you, know, you train before work at five or six in the morning you train at lunch with some people who are nice enough to train with you and then you train at night and then you got to get a weightlifting session in. And, and for me, I was like, well, you know, I, when I started to get, you know, really competitive and through that phase, you know, probably then I was, I don't know, mid to late thirties at that point, And I was like, okay, like, is this something that, um, we're going to make a lot of money on? Like, you know, again, it's like at what point is your priority? Like, you know, you're, 35 36 36, like banging up your body like this which is funny but like at the end of the day like you gotta work over here you know and um you know so it it is something that that was awesome what yes what won a lot happy for all those experiences um um but uh yeah other again we'll talk about some other competing priorities in life right but um but that has started to to um come more to a A realistic perspective for me of somebody who's now over 40, you know, being like, okay, well, well, what can we do with this skill set that we have? Still compete and have fun, but also make room for other priorities in life. Because I think at that point I was a little unbalanced in life.
0: Yeah. So you shared a funny story with me once about a competition, a yes. uh, jiu-jitsu competition, yes. competition. And, but it, it ended up really well. You you, and your opponent both had the same equipment
1: failure. Yes. You want to talk about that <laughs> a little bit? Yes. Um, what is that? A wardrobe malfunction? You yes, know wardrobe. So yeah, we were in the finals of the Atlanta Open, and... Um, you know, you're not supposed to do this, but I went and YouTube some of her videos. You know, they, they tell you not to do that so you don't get this false impression or whatever. So, but I did it anyways, and um, uh, it was super tough, right? Um, competing at the Atlanta Open, so of course she's super tough. And, um, like, you know, we had our our, groups, our grips, we were in the gi, and, you know, we're starting to feel each other out in the beginning of the match, and I always, always, always double tie my pants, Always. And I could feel my pants starting to wiggle down, and you know, of course, she had like spandex on underneath. But like I could feel, and I start giggling a little bit, and then I see the same thing happening to her, <laughs> and she's giggling a little bit, and so like we're sitting there at these grips, and like. I saw, it, like, we just disengage mutually at the same time and fix our pants and we're, we're just kind of like Dave and I right here just <laughs> laughing and uh, we both took a penalty from the referee, we took a penalty for it because it's, you know, delay, but um, but it was, it was just super funny and it just brought this human moment to mm. it that it's like, ah, it's not all about, you know, the competition at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we're too, you know, Middle-aged, if that's what you want to call it, mid-thirties ladies like have, having this thing happen. It just was a funny moment, and, <laughs> and then we just got back to it. So. Yeah, but I mean, this is championship match, a championship right? match, the <laughs>
0: premier <laughs> competition, and you know, I, I I love how you both handled it. Yes, right, because I think sometimes it can things can get so intense, mm-hmm. and you know, one of Swin's five essential <laughs> characteristics of good leaders. Is empathy, Mm -hmm. or the ability to relate to somebody through our shared humanity. Mm -hmm.
1: That story just—it doesn't get more
0: shared humanity than Uh, that. Both of
1: our pants are falling off. off. (laughs) And we did laugh, and then we slapped hands again, and then we just restarted. And it was back on. It was back on. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you went to the finals of the Pan Am Games. I did. And and you got defeated. You lost. What what was that like?
1: Um. It. You know, I think that disappointment happens when you have mismanaged expectations. Mm-hmm. I really do. And um, I, I felt good going in, like was on weight. Um, you know, my other matches were, they were on point, like, you know, execute the game plan. And then um, she had executed a move that I had not seen in the competition yet. Because I, uh-huh. I like to fight for my feet. I like to take down. Um my husband wrestles, not a, not a shabby wrestler, so um, I, I prefer to start like that. And, um, you know, in, in women's jiu-jitsu, um, a lot of people will try to do what's called a jumping guard, and so they'll, they'll instantly try to uh, initiate their guard from their, from their feet. They'll jump on your waist and take you to the ground that way, so now you have to work out of um, their guard and pass. And so, like, um, I, I had her up in a single, and she just went straight to her back, and I didn't control her opposite because I had both of my hands on for the single. And um, she, f- like, flying triangled me. And she put me in a triangle choke, like, from the air and put wow. me to the ground. And, like, it, it was over. So, like, um, I had not prepared for that. Um, you know, you should be prepared for everything, right? But, like, I had not seen that. In tr- like, <laughs> I hadn't seen it. And I was just like, well, you know, tip of the cap. Like, you got me. And, um, you know, happy for her to have that success but for me it was like okay like we need to maybe do a little bit more video study we need to maybe feel like when different things are going to happen because even though I had her leg like I I just I just was solely focused on takedown instead of well what's she gonna do Mm. and so I didn't kind of bring it back to again that I, I was on this versus versus that and so that was um I mean Wish it wouldn't have been the finals where I learned that lesson, but, you know, I learned it nonetheless. Yeah. And so now we're, again, it goes back to the why. And so, like, I think that that has improved my training in in a way to to kind of search for these little nooks and crannies of possibility.
0: Yeah. And, again, that defeat <laughs> didn't break you.
1: No, it didn't. You know, I mean, it did for that hour. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you Which know? is expected, right? <laughs> you, you know. Disappointed. Yeah, disappointed because, again, like, you know, again, like my professor at my gym, he'll, you know, I'm, I'll preface it with like, these weren't his exact words, but his message was, you know, hard work doesn't equate to like success because everybody's working hard. Yeah. You know, you assume, you know, in, you know, in MMA and jiu-jitsu, whatever it is, like everyone's working hard. And like I told you before, you know, I mean, there's two teams in the national championship and somebody's not winning. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that they're bad. You know, it mm. doesn't, you know, it just means, like, you know, yeah, they've both worked hard, but, like, only one can can walk out of here with the biggest trophy. Right. You know, and so it, it'd be nice to see the flip side of that, to whereas, well, yeah, all the interviews are over here, but, like, what's those people's reactions, you know? And, right. And how can we um, understand their vantage point a little bit more?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> So we've talked about volleyball, we've talked about weightlifting, we've talked about, you know, coming to the academy um, as the first female strength and conditioning coach, you know, really opening avenues there. We've talked about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. In the midst of all of this, a successful career, you decide you want to join the army. I did. And (laughs) be a military police officer. Yes. Where did that come from? I remember you telling me that you, you know, when you were going to do this one yes. day at volleyball, and, and yeah, you you did it. You went off to basic training. You, you know, you weren't looking for the cushy, you know, like uh, quick commission here to you know some cushy desk job, or I want to, you know, I want to be in charge of this and that. But you really wanted to go through everything.
1: I did. Tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I I do distinctly remember um, when I was eighteen having the recruiter. We were in like the guidance counselor's office, right? We brought our lunch in there. I remember listening to this person. And, you know, I, I, I feel like I've had it on my heart to serve like my whole life, like starting back then. Um, I did not make that decision back then because being 18 year old me, I was like, well, I want to play volleyball and, you know, party and do what college kids do. And <clears throat> so I did that. and. Uh, but that feeling, like, never went away. And the more that I became immersed in the academy and seeing, you know, what the cadets go through and, you know, the permanent party here and, like, from the officer side of the house, I was like, I just, I want to do this. And, like, um, you know, it just, you know, it, it started as a little tap at the door and pretty soon it was just, like, banging, you know, over the course mm-hmm. of the years that I had been here. Because I think I would worked at the academy um, I mean seven or eight years before I joined the army so I Mm -hmm. mean I'm already in you know this like you said like this career like in my groove professionally and um the day that I that I decided I was going to do it I called every branch of the military it was kind of around Christmas I remember that and the only people that answered the phone was the army Hmm. I do remember that, because it was, like, during probably block leave for holidays or whatever. They are the only ones that answer the phone. And so, like, I was like, all right, I'll come down, you know, and did, like, sign up all the paperwork and, um, you know, my choices, you know, because they have so many um, jobs they need to fill per branch. I could have been an engineer, and I good at math, you know, I can add by 45s, the weight plates, right, but I can't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like, um, I did not feel I was going to be successful at the other aspects of that, that was required, Um, or military police, and, you know, starting to have that combatives background, not that that's solely military police, but I feel like I could relate to that particular career field more, so I did, I went to, I took a sabbatical, and um, that, that summer, I went to basic training, and then I went to at uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and then I went to Fort Benning, Georgia for the officer <clears throat> candidate school, mm-hmm. um, and so I was gone for probably about six months, and then I came back to the academy. The following summer, I went to the military police basic course, which was just during the summer, which is a good time for us. Yeah. And then um, in October, when I got back, um, it was my first battle assembly, backs in the reserves um, you know, we're not full time, we do our one weekend month, two weeks a year, or so they say. Um, it's more than that, but uh, so they say, well start <laughs> that baseline. And um you know, went to Battle Assembly in October, first one back, and my commander says we're gonna deploy um to Guantanamo Bay Cuba in December and I want you you're you're going. So, okay. So came back to work, told them, Hey, I'm gonna be on this tour for three sixty five and you know, we went to Guantanamo Bay and um you know that you know that was hard being a female down there as well. But, <laughs> but um, you know, we got through it and you know we made it through a hurricane and um you know it's just a, overall that was a good experience as well. So um, you know, you learned I learned so much, um, you know, about the army, about being an officer, um, being a military police officer. Um there really is no family like your army family um you know i I still talk to a, a lot of my old soldiers to this day um, and worked with a few like cross paths and other assignments and it's been you know it's it's been good i like i I just knew I had it on my heart to serve I knew I had more that I could give um I knew i I had this purpose of service and we do that here as civilians but like i i felt um, I could give more in that particular area, and so I did, and yeah. I don't regret it. Still doing it, you yeah. Know? So yeah.
0: decorated officer, I know you don't <clears throat> you know, to your own horn, but decorated officer. Mm-hmm. And what was it like, not only being you know a female in the army, but pr- older than a yes. lot of the people you know yes. the, you went through basic training with, and yes. <laughs> and then and then also you know as an officer and as a military police officer, mm-hmm. you've got you know. You're in the minority. I
1: am. What was that like? Um, you know, even in strength and conditioning, like, I don't know if I've just always chosen career paths where there's just, you know, not a lot of women. Um, but, um, you know, at, at the same time, I I can appreciate somebody, you know, like the the females before me, you know, whether it's been you know reading their past works and strength and conditioning from 20 years ago when it was just you know one or two females you know when I um, became a coach only 5% of the strength coaches were females 3 to 5 I think it was but um, and that was you know over 20 years ago at this point but um, <clears throat> I think that we have such an opportunity to to show number one other females you know um, what, what the way is and you know males like this is perhaps how you can integrate with with females you know you're a a lower female density population in this particular career field Um, this is how we integrate or this is what they can bring to the table or this is how we can all work together and so I think that there's a lot of opportunity there to to be able to facilitate um, in conversation Professional conversation, help out personally, like really get to know people on a personal level, um, as well as you know maybe debunk some stereotypes on some things. And um, I, I'll share this story. It's kind of funny. I was at OCS and um, I had a male counterpart. Um, you know, I had um, maxed the PT test. Um, I'll just leave it at that. I maxed the PT <laughs> test. And and um, yeah, you know, we were back at the barracks getting ready. And he walked by and he made some comment um, about, well, well, if I had your standards, I would have maxed it too. And I turned to him and I said, that's why I maxed the men's test. And his jaw dropped and he walked away. And so it's like, but as a female, did I need to do that? Did I need to max the men's test to prove my worth to the Army? Yeah. And so, um, but I mean, yeah, that was over 10 years ago and I remember that still. Oh, okay. So that's <laughs> why so I maxed the men's test. So...
0: Oh, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that you know. On the one hand, you're this standard of excellence, but I can see probably some guys being intimidated by being just outperformed, you know, at, at anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by a woman,
1: and mm-hmm. it's not right. It still mm-hmm. happens,
0: sure, right? But um, yeah, that must have been. Uh, I, I love your approach to it, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. and and it was so funny because you know you're right. Like I was you know, in my early thirties when, when I joined the army and um you know, to have the, the twenty two year olds, you know, behind me at you know, kinda like wow you know, like it's like you know, feel empowered as as a woman, yeah. you know, and I'm not saying they didn't, but it, it was like, you know, I could set an example for them. Um again not saying that you have to go over the standard to prove yourself, but um, you know sometimes you got to take some some lumps and do stuff like that. Um, whether you're male or female, to to really show that you're serious about something, and um, and I feel like that. He, I can tell you, he didn't say anything again, <laughs> and, <laughs> <I> and, <did. laughs> and, and you know I became more of a mentor to those two girls mm. after that. So it okay. was you know you and I probably didn't need to say that, you know? So at the end, it, it worked out because I was able to help, help them in some kind of right. way. Right,
0: you empowered them. You set an mm-hmm. example of what's acceptable, what's not, mm-hmm. and also what's possible. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah,
1: what's possible. That's a good way to put it, yes.
0: Yeah, yeah. and probably for some guys, too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah,
1: maybe. We'll never know. I yeah. guess you never know how far your knife hand reaches. So. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so along the way, mm-hmm. you meet Marco, Yes. Your husband. Yes. And who I still never met in person. (laughs) He he, exists. He does. Currently deployed. And and Marco, wherever you are, thank you for sharing her. I hope you're safe. Uh, You did well. And so you get married and and you want to start a family. Yes. And that that really brings us to kind of a core message that that you want to share with everybody. And, And. it hasn't really worked out the way you wanted to. No, no, not yet. Yeah, not yet, not yet. So,
1: yes, so, um, you know, again, I'm I'm over 40. Um, Marco and I met when we were in our late 30s. Um, He was actually in the same unit as me Um, when I was a second lieutenant. He was a cadet, and so we knew each other there. Um, We were dating other people at the time, and then... um, I might have mentioned he's not a shabby wrestler, so he was getting ready for the Rio Olympics and Greco-Roman wrestling, um, the Olympic trials, and, um, and then I deployed. And so when I came back, um, I actually saw him at my jiu-jitsu gym. And, you know, we did one of those, hey, I recognize you, and kind of caught up there. And then, you know, peas and cares, started dating, and, you know, here we are. And um, we got married um, in our late 30s. I think I was 38 we got married and, um, we knew we wanted children out of the gate and, um, you know, we haven't had a lot of success at that. We've had, um, you know, two miscarriages. Um, we've had, um, three failed interuterine inseminations. Um, we've had four egg retrievals. So we move on to IABF, we move on to the big guns. Um, and we did our egg retrievals because like I was near at or over 40 when all this was going on. Um, So we did all of our egg retrievals first and we're going to do the transfer process after that. And so four rounds of that um, gave us eight embryos. And um, in November of this past year, um, we did our attempted to do our first transfer and I, I, wasn't given enough medication and so it it kind of ruined that cycle so all that anticipation mm. you know it's like Pah. so then we wait till January of 23 and then we do our embryo transfer and it failed as well and so that has been very hard because you know you, I've done I feel like I've done the best for my body right like gave it good food didn't abuse it through drugs and alcohol, like sleep, hydrate, um, keep it in shape through exercise. And this one thing I would like it to do, (laughs) it is, it is not, um, it is not doing what I want it to do right now. And so that has been, you know, from where we started in the process to now it's, it's, um, it's hard to believe it's been, you know, five years or more, you know, so, um, the emotional and and physical toll it takes on you, you know, the sacrifices and, you know, challenges, like one thing after the other, like the expense, I mean, it just, it all, it all kind of comes into play, but, you know, I'm, you know, we have seven embryos left and I'm really optimistic that we'll have the family that we want, you know, however You know there's certain check marks that we're gonna have and certain decision points and um, you know and then we'll either course correct or we'll move on to the next kind of kind of plan and you know and I feel like and I told you this before but I think that when it comes to to IVF like we hear about the successes right like oh you know my case was five years but in a different context oh it's five years and now we have this baby at home, and so we did all of these things, and that's what worked for us. And we don't hear enough about the situations like mine, where it's like five years and like, you know, let's see four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine failed fertility treatments mm. that you know, two miscarriages um, there, there's not enough of that, and yeah. um, you're not alone if you're listening to this and you're out there like. I haven't had success, and I'm talking about how I haven't had success and so um yeah, that has been difficult it's been very difficult
0: to say the least i'm sure yes yeah. so so and and i've you know i I hear a little bit every once in a while you share mm-hmm. and 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 I was there happened to be there during volleyball, yes, and we so got doctor the called closed. the last time and <laughs> just you know heartbreaking it was. How have how have you maintained your mindset through this? What's the process? I mean, five years of, you know, just wanting a baby and, yes. and, and wanting this family. How have you got through that? How's that? What's that been like for you?
1: Um, you know, I I can't say that it's been easy. It has not. Um, I would say that, um, you know, I go through bouts of depression. I would say that, you know, even now, um, I would say that I have. It, it's difficult when your husband's deployed and you get the phone call that your embryo <laughs> transfer has failed. Uh, but I just took a few plays off and then it was right back at it, right? So we, we had volleyball to play. Um, Therapeutic at that point. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's not to minimize anybody's situation, but you know, we, we all have to deal with things in our own way. And um, you know, I think looking back from the beginning when it was like, you know, oh, you have a blocked fallopian tube. You know, I mean, that put me out for three days. Like, I was inconsolable for three days. And looking back on that, it's like, well, that's, you know, nothing compared to, like, what we're dealing with now. And it's like, you're so close. Like, you have... I mean, and we're so lucky that um, we have seven embryos. Like, not... I mean, people don't even get there. So we are incredibly lucky to have that many chances. And um, so I... I'm grateful for that, that that doesn't ever leave me. Um, I will say that though, like going through this process, like for me anyways, it's like you become, I don't know if hard is the right word, like hardened mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and, and it really is a, well, you know what, we're going to hope for the best, but and we're going to stay optimistic, but we also know, again, cause, you know, disappointment, smashed expectations, right? However, we also know based on what we've done in our own research, because I would say we didn't do that until we started, because why would you, right? right? Like, until we started running into problems and becoming your own advocate, which is what I would say to you all is become your own advocate, um, to then be like, okay, well, there's this probability as well, like, and we're, you know, prepared for both of them. And I would say that, um, you know, as simple as that sounds, we I didn't do that in the beginning, and you know, I I do it now, and, um, you know, always just never losing sight of, like, I just believe that we are going to have the family that we would like. I believe it, like, to my bones, I believe it. And so, like, that's what keeps you going. And, um, you know, that doesn't mean that every time we get a piece of bad news, it isn't devastating for an hour or a day, because it is. Yeah. But, but then it's like, okay, well, we tried this treatment, we know that this medication or this treatment didn't work. So now, you know, we're on to this treatment. And, um, you know, our, our doctor, um, we have, you know, switched clinics to a doctor in California who is, you know, has all my old treatment records is like, okay, well, we're going to try this treatment. And so it's like, you know, I think also knowing that there's people out there that, um, can help you in ways that you wouldn't know unless you, you sought that out um, or there's, you know, again, your definition of insanity um, mm. so I think being able to to have that is good
0: yeah
1: <coughs> now I'm good <laughs> <coughs> I was like, I have to get a cutoff point before I can cough again yeah. <coughs> okay
0: <laughs> okay so you brought up the importance of belief. Yes. And you know, <coughs> belief is a choice. It is. And, and mm-hmm. you choose to believe that every day. I do. When it's hard, when you know, you're optimistic, when you've got a new direction. And, and, and that's something I've talked about. You know, the, we, we, sometimes we need to raise the bar on mm-hmm. our beliefs. Because we can't achieve something we don't believe that we can achieve. Yes. And therefore, we can never receive that outcome so we have to believe first, mm-hmm. and then we'll be able to, you know, find the resources, put in the work mm-hmm. to achieve. And then, you know, at a certain point, we receive in one form or another, mm-hmm. maybe not the way we initially thought mm-hmm. or envisioned, but, um, you know, it's, it's so important. So if you had two minutes to tell the world something that could help change their lives, what would your message be?
1: thing is I knew you were going to ask this question too and and there was just so much um I would say that I would say that you're going to have to edit this because I got to think about it real quick I'll give you two and a half um I would say that we have to be I think that we all say that we're willing and prepared to do, um, you know, what's necessary, um, until that thing comes. And then we ask ourselves, well, what is willing and prepared? And, you know, from my standpoint, it was taking a break from competition, letting myself gain a little bit of weight. Um, you know, our, our marriage, um, and having the support system that we have, like through these tough times right and so it's like well what is everything that we actually need to be able to deal with a hard time and um i'm not sure that i'll change the world with this statement but i would say like you know we all know that we're going to go through hard times so i would just implore everybody out there to to find out what it is for you that you do need to prepare yourself for what that thing is I think that we all think that we know, but um, until I was in this experience, it, and even in the beginning of that experience, I thought I knew, but I, I I didn't know. And so, like I think that having, you know, a hope, and that hope might change every day. The hope, the hope for you know Marco and I is that the treatment works even before the transfer. Like we hope that the treatment works. So with the ultimate goal of well, our hope is to have that baby, but our first hope. In measurable bites is step one like we hope that treatment works and then we hope the embryo implants and then we hope it's a healthy pregnancy and and so on and so forth so we had a very deliberate process instead of this arbitrary end goal we had these very small bites along the way of of hopes and and that way if the plan didn't work well it doesn't mean that this won't work it just means that this thing right now we need to find something different to replace that other plan that didn't work and then we can continue to to make our move forward um so you know not losing the forest for the trees so to speak and so like that's what keeps us going is that there's there's other treatments out there for us and you know what i'm i'm really optimistic we're going to find one that works for us so that's what i would say
0: yeah thank you so much thank you i appreciate it and i mean man so much Mm -hmm. I hope you guys have all enjoyed this. Um, So many amazing things to think about, great stories, but a lot of truths and a lot of really empowering principles. Mm -hmm. You know, it it is easy to get lost in the trees, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes we feel like the distance between where we are to where we want to be is so vast Mm -hmm. and the obstacles so insurmountable that, you know, it just feels overwhelming and Mm -hmm. and we give up we give in we settle but to actually say okay I know what I want let's work backwards and Mm -hmm. I don't need to get there today I need to get here today exactly um, is really empowering it makes it manageable right this is how do you eat an elephant one One bite bite at a time time. (laughs) (laughs) so yes Um, and so if if people are struggling with with in vitro or or just Mm -hmm. any fertility issues I know that you said that you you'd be more than happy to, to be you know part of a support.
1: Yes. Um, um, can I share one other story? Absolutely, please. So I um, in my research and my treatments, um, I had found a particular treatment that I wanted to try, and I found a particular business in town that um, was able to accommodate that treatment. And so when I called, um, you know, a nice woman answered the phone, and I was talking about what I was hoping to have happen. And um, it was oddly specific. And so she had asked me why I made that request. And I told her, well, according to what I've been reading, you know, XYZ things will help with fertility treatment. And there was this long pause. And she said, well, my husband and I are going through IVF. Like, I don't want to sound unprofessional, but can I ask you a few questions? And I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so um, we did. We had a talk. And then... Um, I, I told her that she could use my number anytime, um, because you really do feel isolated. You do feel, I mean, this, this roller coaster. And so again, I, I'm empathizing with with all of you out there. And again, I haven't had success yet. So I, I'm in that I'm in that boat with you. And so um, I believe that you have a um, link through your pod the podcast. Okay. So if there's anybody that wants to get a hold of me, I mean about anything, like I'm, I'm happy to respond to you. Um, I, I want to help you in any way that I can. Um, cause I can tell you that I didn't have that for myself in the beginning. And so, um, if I can be that person for you to help answer some questions again, I have no medical degree, no medical knowledge. I just know my own experience in this particular area and I'm happy to talk, talk with anybody about that.
0: So. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, a lot of times when you're going through hard things, we don't need someone to fix the problem mm-hmm. for us. We just need someone who will go through the trenches yes.
1: with us. Yes, yes, 100%. Right. Yeah. Like you are with me. <laughs> it's been fun, it's, it's been, been a privilege. Yeah. You know, and, and,
0: and that's what it's all about. We all have our struggles. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my struggle is not fertility. I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm a guy and, you know, I've got nine kids, right? So it's like, you don't relate at all, Dave, come on, right? it's like, but I know what it's like in the heat of my own battles. I know how hard that struggle is to believe that you can achieve some out- outcome that seems so impossible mm-hmm. and to overcome those obstacles that seem really insurmountable. And, and I know what it feels like to feel that despair, to feel that mm-hmm. hopelessness, and I never want that for anybody exactly and so you know empathy allows us to recognize you feel the same way about your struggles with fertility that i feel about my own struggles and knowing how i feel knowing what would have helped me have that support somebody that you can you know the blood sweat and tears right that That when those bombs go off in life whether they're real or metaphorical that you have somebody that you can cry with, you have somebody you can laugh with you have somebody who would be like I don't understand what's going on in your life right now I can't even imagine but I know how it's making you feel and I've felt this way about similar things and I care enough about you to say hey, let's figure out a way to get through it together and we can't fix it but we can all be there together and be like, you know it's a shoulder to cry on.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know. And sometimes I need that shoulder and sometimes you need that shoulder <laughs> and sometimes we just need to get out and play volleyball. Exactly. You know? <laughs> Whatever it is, right? That, that recreation that can recreate. Um, I talked about this in an earlier episode of my podcast. That having meaningful recreation is so important mm-hmm. because meaningful recreation is not that diversion. It's not just the diversion or the escape away from our problems. It actually... Uh, from the Chinese perspective, it restores what we've lost on our journey. Mm-hmm. That's the root meaning. Um, and that's so important, right? It's an investment in ourselves that restores what we've lost along the way and then empowers us to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And we all, we all need that.
1: We do. So. It's, it's hard. Yes. Yes. So
0: thank you so much. You're this has been so much fun. It has been. And thank you everybody yes, so much you. for listening. Um, you guys are all amazing. I hope that uh, you find something in here. I'm sure that if you listen to this, something's going to be helpful. will be impactful for you. And you know, the, I always end the episodes with you know, the thing that I want you guys to remember the most is that the power to win resides within. So thank you so much, everybody.
1: Thank you.
0: Take care.